HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. All right, folks, it is Thursday, 1 o'clock, and you have tuned into the Heritage Radio Network, coming to you live from the back of Roberta's at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to The Farm Report, and today we are on the line with Anne-Marie Ahern of Saltwater Farm. Anne-Marie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the line with us today. We're excited to kind of hear more about Saltwater Farm, but I figured we might as well kick it off by explaining to our listeners what actually it is. Sure. Uh, Saltwater Farm is actually an old sheep farm that sits on the ocean in Maine, and um, it is a, we've turned it into a cooking school, and we raise vegetables, and we have laying hens. Um, we also do a supper club on Sundays and on the full moon. Hmm. So where, where in Maine, I mean, just to give us a sense of the geography, are you guys? Sure. We're about uh, an hour and a half north of Portland. Okay. So, so We're right on Route 1, just, just on the water. So how many, how, like if I got in the car from, from Bushwick, Brooklyn, I think you have recently made a similar yes. trip. What, what am I looking at to get up to Saltwater? You're looking at seven hours door to door. But I could spend the night if I came up, right? Oh, of course. We've got lots, <laughs> lots of extra beds. <laughs> awesome. So it sounds like you guys have a lot going on up there. I mean, let's talk a little bit about how how the farm got started, but maybe starting with, with your background. Sure. Um, well, I moved to New York City and uh, got an internship working at Savoy Magazine. I wanted to be a food writer and realized quickly that I needed to go to culinary school if I wanted to be an educated food writer. Um, and while I was getting my... Um, uh, culinary Arts Certificate, I decided to take a management program at the Institute of Culinary Education, and I wrote a business plan for a cooking school, um, which was going to be in Maine, because my family had purchased some land um, back in 1999, and it was it's such a beautiful location that I always 
um, wanted to figure out a way to make a living for myself up here. So I spent the better part of six years in the city um, working in all different parts of the food industry. I wrote a food column called The Downtown Chef for the Elle magazine for a number of years. Uh, I worked for Tom Colicchio as his personal assistant and worked at Dan Barber's restaurant, Blue Hill. So I sort of felt my way around uh, New York City's food world and all the while with the hopes and dream of opening this cooking school in Maine. And I wanted to learn more about where food is sourced um, and how to grow it myself, which is being done in New York, but not in the way that it's been, you know, it's being done up here. So it's been a really great transition. It definitely took some getting used to and the common question is well how are the winters and they're they're lonely and long (laughs) but the summers are great (laughs) yeah and now you're not i mean how did you end up in maine because you're not you're from the midwest right right when i was a kid we used to drive uh across the country uh to maine my dad built a log cabin in the woods in dresden maine when he was about 19 and we used to spend a week running around in the woods up there and i it's funny i didn't love maine to start um, because it was always cold and the water you know, wasn't really swimmable and the coast was rocky. But as I've gotten older and driven um, sort of the length of the coast, which is quite lengthy, um, I've completely fallen in love with the place. It's really remote, and the people up here are incredible, and um, it really appeals to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I am a big fan of Maine. I've spent a little bit of time in Vinyl Haven uh, over the years. And we actually, we had Chris Major on the show a few months ago. He is a lobster fisherman out there. Yeah. So definitely mad love for Maine. So I'm yeah, curious, you. you know, you're, you decided that you wanted to be working in food. You thought you wanted to be a food writer and realized that you wanted a little bit more of a formal education. But when you uh, were looking at writing a business plan, what was it that drew you to the, the cooking school model? I mean, why that as opposed to opening per se, you know, like a a farm-to-table restaurant or some other type of facility? Well, I loved the educational piece. Um, I I didn't realize when I went to culinary school how how incredible of an experience it was going to be, and I had such respect for the chefs there. Mind you, that was much more of a professional environment, and what we do here is much more recreational. Um, People are pretty relaxed, and you can come with any level of skill and still take something away, whether you're truly an experienced chef or you're just getting started. Um, but I really, I loved the, the, the environment in which people learn about food and can ask questions about it and um, just get more intimate with, you know, what they are putting in their bodies three times a day. So, Or more, in my case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, you're living in New York City. You, you wrote this business plan. You, you know, you decide mm-hmm. to kind of go for this model I mean, that, that's a pretty ambitious goal. So how did you kind of go about, like, making that happen? I mean, can you take us through kind of what things were like at the beginning and who you looked sure. to for resources? Sure. Um, well, I was actually working as a personal chef my last two and a half years in New York, and I was reading books about farming and gardening on my, my F-train commute. And um, I really, it wasn't quite tangible, but it almost felt that way because I knew I was really close to renting a U-Haul, packing everything up, and driving seven hours north. Um, And when I first got here, uh, it was really quiet. I remember the day I pulled in the driveway, and I took my, I have two dogs, two Australian shepherds, and we ran down to the water, and I thought to myself, well, wow, I can do this every single day. This feels so different than anything I'm used to. Um, And we started, the kitchen wasn't completely built out yet, but um, slowly it became finished, 
opened the cooking school July 25th of 2009, and I was pretty much running the show. I mean, my parents, it's, it's a family operation in a sense. My dad helps chop wood. My mom sets the table. But in large part, it's, it's me running the show. Um, and I, you know, I didn't have many friends up here. I was starting a new business. I didn't know how a city girl would be received um, in a place with a really strong agricultural tradition. Um, so it took a while to build um, a clientele and win the respect of the town. Um, but, you know, two years later, we have a lot of support, and we bring a lot of farmers here um, or, and fishermen to talk about what they do whether it be you know, out at sea or a day's work on the farm, and, and they've managed to connect in ways I think they never expected to with the, the consumers of their food at our table. And there's, we've had wonderful conversations about the challenges in the food industry, um, uh, you know, policy issues, um, uh, the, the struggle of living in Maine, the long winters, and the very few successful growing months. And it's, it's been a really great experience. And, I, and about... Three months after I opened the cooking school, I met a woman named Laidley Dunn, who grew up out on Vinyl Haven, actually, um, and in other parts of Maine. And she grew up foraging for food, and she's worked on dairy farms, and she was so connected to the land. I call her Mother Earth, my Mother Earth. <laughs> and she taught me a lot about how to farm and how to take care of animals. And um, she's now become a dear, dear friend to me and the other half of the business, so... Um, it's been really fun working together and bring the two of us bringing very different skills um, to the table. Yeah, so I'm curious, you know, a lot of people who who live in the city have this kind of vision of, so, you know, something kind of similar to what you've created. And I'm just wondering how, you know, when you when you first arrived up 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 in Maine and on the on the land and, you know, started kind of, you know, plotting out your your farm and, and going about kind of actually putting stuff in the ground. I mean, can you talk a little bit about like what it was to essentially break ground and, and kind of did your expectation of growing food kind of meet the reality or what were some kind of surprises or challenges sure. along the way? Well, the first challenge we had is that our land is on a hill and it's really hard to farm on a hill, especially when you don't know how to farm in the first place. So we had to do a fair amount of leveling earth and excavation, and then there was the issue of the quality of the soil, which is something I had read about, but until you actually do it, you don't understand how much um, nutrients or how many nutrients and what kinds of nutrients need to go into the soil to have productive vegetables, which all ties into composting, which was a whole nother, um a whole other, you know, uh, understanding that, that I sort of became acquainted with over time. But we had to put a lot of both money and time into the soil before we could really gain anything from it. And 2009 was one of the worst years to learn how to be a farmer in the history of, uh, of Maine because it rained pretty much all the way until mid-August. And so it was just a, it was a tough learning year. But uh, that being said, I mean, I've been, we've been doing it for three years now, and each year the quality of things improve. We keep adding compost and bone meal and all kinds of um, nutrients to the soil, and it's really satisfying to see the progress. And I remember somebody told me um, a while ago that you, before you, should, you ever farm a piece of land, you should just live on it for a year and watch the weather and the, the way the water moves across it and sort of observe, you know, what the predators are and that kind of thing. And 
um, I sort of hastily jumped into this, but I'm just watching the land from actually the room I'm sitting in right now, which is my bedroom. <laughs> um, you learn a lot. You learn a lot from it. So it's been a it's been a challenge, but a totally rewarding experience. And I the best feeling of all um, is in the spring when the first green things come up: the asparagus, the chives, lovage, and I have eggs from the chickens and make chive omelets for like a month straight and it's just I love it so much I always thought something kind of so romantic to me about the the first signs of green mm-hmm. in the spring so I know you know Maine is known for blueberries and for lobster mm-hmm. and I don't know what else so can you I mean what sure. what what grows well up there I mean what were things that you're like man we'd really love that but it doesn't really work here or yeah even just within kind of your community I mean what what type of food are, are people kind of looking for and how are you serving that or maybe kind of looking to broaden their perspectives yeah, sure. well obviously everybody comes to me and what do they want to do they want to boil a lobster and that's just really not what we do here we um we teach them about the anatomy of a lobster. We talk to them about the lobster fishing business. Um, Laidley was a sternman for some years, and there's a lot of there's a lot of truth behind lobster that people you know aren't aware of. So um, we sort of you know it's you you get a lobster at market price on a menu in New York City, and you think it's something really special. But when you learn about the creature, it's you know it's not quite as special as people. It's sort of the cockroach of the sea. Um, but we, we do... <laughs> You're uh, like, oddly, a, <laughs> Maine didn't go for that tagline, but we no, could maybe suggest that. <laughs> the name of our class is The Truth Behind Lobster. So. <laughs> um, but we do use it as a garnish on soups. I mean, one of the things we try to teach people is that um, you can really simplify the way you eat and eat even better than you do. Um, and so one lobster per person isn't, isn't you know, necessarily the best way to serve it. Uh, but beyond that, Maine has very acidic soil, so um, berries grow exceptionally well, and when you have such a long winter, summer berries are such a privilege, and we do a lot of pickling and preserving here to sort of get through the winter. Um, There's also some pretty phenomenal mushrooms up here. Um, A dear friend of mine, Evan Strasinski, forages for a lot of the chefs in New York City, uh, and he has taken me foraging a number of times, and I'm always amazed at how the variety of mushrooms that are edible in Maine. And um, Hurricane Irene actually really did a, did a great job in bringing up a lot of mushrooms in the past two weeks. So it's been really fun walking through the woods up here. Wow, that is not um, a story that I have heard. It's great to hear that there's some kind of positive benefit to the hurricane. I know. Very few, but that's, that's one positive benefit. Um, there's also tremendous oysters in Maine. I've had oysters all over the country, and I swear by pemaquids. They're, I think, the best and meatiest, and they have deep cups and um, really clean, beautiful flavor. So shellfish is uh, mussels also, uh, steamers, uh, which are you know clams that you essentially just dip in their own juice and butter if you'd like. And... Um, we prepare things really simply, and we don't. Um, we focus on the food that's around us, but we also focus on how to get the most out of it. So, you know, we'll teach people how to butcher a chicken. We actually teach people how to slaughter chickens also um, in one of our classes in the summer. And then we teach them how to use the body to make stock, and we teach them how to use, um, you know, every single part of it. So that's, that's um, another one of our focuses is sort of, getting the most out of food that you can and and living on a you know a lesser budget and eating better 
Okay, so um, I want to take a quick break, um, and then when we come back, I'd love to kind of tuck into a little bit more exactly what, what's kind of the breadth of classes and dinners and a little sure. bit more about the nuts and bolts of the programming up there. Okay, sounds good. We are back. You are listening to The Farm Report, and we are on the line with Anne-Marie Ahern of Saltwater Farm. Anne-Marie, before the break, we were starting to talk a little bit about some of the different types of classes that you offer, and I think more generally about what your approach to teaching people about food is. And I was wondering if you can expand a little bit on kind of what what's the intent of the classes, you know, what's kind of the checklist that you run through before you decide to offer some Offer one, and then give us you know a few more examples of what people can look forward to learning about. Sure. Um, the the general thrust of our classes um, are the lost culinary arts, which is sort of a tagline that people are becoming more familiar with. The idea behind that is that we're teaching people the skills that typically our our grandparents' generation had and were somewhere lost in the age of commercialism because things have become so convenient for people that they uh, no longer need to know how to take apart a chicken because they can buy it all cut up at the grocery store. Um, So we teach people a whole range of of these skills, and not just in the kitchen. We also take them out to the garden and teach them how um, how to compost and how to put down seeds and how to harvest things, which is something that is so simple, but, I mean, when I moved here, I had no idea that you pick herbs from the tip top because it's the most tender and they'll keep growing back, and I didn't know what thinning carrots meant um, to give the, you know, some of them more room to grow, and um, so there's a lot of things we teach people that are so simple, but they just don't know them, because why would they? Because they were never, you know, they didn't have a garden growing up, or they didn't have to, um, you know, make a chicken get through the entire week, so... um, we, some of the classes include um, uh, pickling and preserving. We've done a lot of that in the past couple of months. Uh, everything from quick pickles, which essentially means you're not processing them. They're just something you would want to eat within um, one, two, or three weeks. Uh, we do a pie-making class, both sweet and savory, where we teach people how to roll out pie crusts. And we do pretty much everything by hand here. Um, and we do a naturally leavened bread class, which uh, we spend the winter here uh, using Saltwater Farm as our te- test kitchen, which is really fun. And we, we completely devote ourselves to subjects like bread, beer, cheese, um, things that we're really trying to perfect. 
So, um, and I always get a kick out of it because in our, in our bread class, we always teach people how to make butter out of cream, which all you do is you put cream in a mason jar and you shake it for yeah. a really long time. But they're amazed when, you know, the, the milk separates from the fat and all of a sudden they have butter. Um, and of all the things we teach, I think still the most, like the happiest I see the students is when they take their hot bread and they dip it in their butter. Uh, yum. It's the best. Um, and we talk a little bit about raising laying hens. Um, we do take people foraging with um, uh, both Laidley and Evan, the, the fellow I mentioned earlier. We do a home brewing class, which is great. The people that come to it, they all bring their own home brews, and they're a little bit competitive about, you know, if they're how successful they've been in their the brewing process. Um, so we do, yeah, we do a whole range of classes that sort of... Um, Teach people how to be more self-sufficient. Teach them how to, um, you know, make how to simplify things and 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 improve the quality of of the food that they're eating on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I was uh, I'm reminded of a quote from my former boss R. A. Weinzweig of Zingerman's Deli. He's like, you know, buy good food, or I guess procure good food and cook it simply, and you can enjoy great meals. I feel like that's, that's just so basic and so true. So the other kind of component of your business that you had mentioned at the beginning of the show is these dinners. And, mm-hmm. and, you, and you said, you know, often you guys will invite a, a producer or grower from your region and, and kind of build a menu um, around what they do. And can you talk a little bit more about, about those and maybe give us some examples? Sure. Um, in, there's not much that grows in Maine in February uh, and January, but we do, there's a really wonderful shrimp season in Maine um, in February, and there's a sea urchin season. Now, it's funny because most of the sea urchin goes directly to Japan, but every, um, actually every January we do a full moon supper. Uh, every, in fact, every month of the year we do a supper on the full moon. But the, the winter ones are really intimate because it's snowy outside and we have a fire going and people come from really far away. So it's 20 people at the table. Um, and we brought in a sea urchin diver who is a friend of mine, and he told them uh, what it's like to be, a, to be getting into the ocean in January in Maine and pulling up uh, thousands of pounds of these things, um, just in, in crazy amounts of sea urchin. Him and his brother run a company. Um, and they, they're lobstermen in the summer and sea urchin divers in the fall. And a lot of people in Maine have two jobs uh, to, because it's such a seasonal place um, work-wise. And in order to sort of get, get through the year, everybody's got to have two jobs. So, um, But the conversation between the sea urchin diver and the people sitting around the table that have paid $65 a head for four courses who, you know, would order sea urchin at a restaurant but would never get to actually talk to the man who drug it out of the ocean um, is incredible. It's really incredible. And we've had um, organic apple orchard owners, um, farmers, sitting at the table. We've had lamb farmers sitting at the table. And um, it's, you know, in the beginning, the farmers typically are, you know, don't really know exactly how to convey to 22 diners what it's like to do what they do but you know after a couple glasses of wine and some good food (laughs) it's like the conversation just goes in all kinds of directions and i think people walk away from it with a pretty a pretty incredible um experience in the conversation that they shared with the farmers 
That sounds wonderful. Um, you, you know, you mentioned that the dollar, the, the cost for dinner is, is 65. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think, uh, the sustainable food movement is critiqued on a lot is is the cost and you know often being accused of uh being elitist and i just wondered how you you know would respond to to that sure um we are only about two years old and um we started the dinner started at 50 and went to 65 and both prices are you know a lot of people can't afford um my feeling is that in order to make a difference, I need to. I, I feel like I need to build a brand, um, and those same people that sit at my table and that are that are willing to pay that will ultimately support me in going on to do other projects that will be able to give back to the community. Um, so I think it's important to build relationships with people that support you both ethically and can potentially help support you financially, so that ultimately you can achieve some of the. Um, some of the other goals, which you know, can where you can reach out into the community and try to make a difference through education or through events or whatever it is, um, I think you need you need both. And uh, yeah, as I said, we're we're a fairly new organization, so um, I'm sort of hoping to to step into other realms as we progress. Do you want to talk about any future plans or? Sure. Um, well, we are uh, we are looking at new at larger facilities. Um, we'll continue running our events here at Saltwater Farm uh, and doing certainly our moon suppers, which have been really special. Uh, but we are looking to uh, build sort of a farm-to-table institute in the mid-coast of Maine and have our eye on one farm in particular and a commercial location. And um, we're trying to serve more people. So uh, we have, there's an incredible group of young and talented people that live in this area um, who have worked either in the food industry or on farms, and we're trying to sort of get them all together and create a really special place where people come for a week at a time to learn the lost culinary arts and um, simple farming skills or even gardening skills for those that don't want to go all the way through with it and start a farm. And, um, yeah, sort of that's where we are right now. Awesome. So you guys have a really beautiful website. It's uh, www.saltwaterfarm.com. And, you know, you had mentioned kind of this uh, cadre of enthusiastic people looking to engage in food. And I'm, I'm wondering the, the New York Maine connection. I mean, obviously, you, you traveled that path as a result of, you know, your experiences as a young girl. But there is this. There are these kind of spots, especially I think on the East Coast, that end up being kind of places where 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 urban dwellers kind of tend to t- tend to be you know gravitate towards and mm-hmm. and um, you know one of the things that you know we've talked about in the past is, is this idea of like what is kind of the role of urban residents and how does that relate to the role of um, you know people living in a more rural environment and. You know, how have you found that transition and like what advice would you have for people thinking about making that or or making that transition or what opportunities are out there that people should be thinking about? Right. Um, Well, it was, I mean, it's a big change. It's a big um, step. And um, I questioned my sanity when I, when I actually made the move at first because I, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I mean, personally, 
the quality of my life has so improved by moving to Maine because I love the outdoors. I love the experience of waking up and letting the chickens out and gathering eggs and harvesting herbs for an omelet or whatever. I just, it's so satisfying to me. And it's, you know, you live on a lot less up here, um, which is something that some people don't want to give up their conveniences, and that's fine. But um, if you are sort of willing to let go of the, some of the things that you're used to living in the city or in a suburban neighborhood and, and be a little more resourceful and use your hands a little more to... Um, you know, get get through the day um, and learn some of these skills. That I can't believe that I, you know, made it until the age of 28 without learning how to do the simplest things in the world because I never needed to because I could call a guy or um, hire someone to help me with it. And, and now it's like you got to figure it out yourself. Um, so I don't know. For, for me, it's been a really great experience and sort of a character-building experience. Um, people up here rely on each other, too, in a way that I never saw living in the city um, where they they take care of each other's animals and children and, you know, trade pork because someone raised a pig for um, some vegetables or moose meat because they went hunting or um, everybody brings a little basket when they go to a party filled with stuff from their garden or bread they just made or jam that they made from last year. So I love that feeling. Um, it, it's added a lot to my life, and I I love the people here too. And um, I know that's a whole other subject, but <laughs> but I've I've met some pretty wonderful people. So I think it's personal to to each person, but um, but for me it's been a great change. And there are a lot of people that um, I know who have left Brooklyn specifically and worked in the um, food. Uh, the food industry down there because they wanted to learn about farming. There's a guy named Elliot Coleman up in Blue Hill who runs a sure. internship program, and a lot of people from New York, San Francisco, um, Chicago, Portland have come have come up to experience that. So it, there is a strong connection, and I see more of it. And in you know in the expanding of Saltwater Farm, I'm really excited to to get some of those people on board with this project. So. What advice would you have? I mean, I know in in smaller communities like that, there there's a real kind of insider-outsider culture. And I think a lot of times people look, in, you know, my experience in growing up in a really small town is someone new rolls into town and they're looked at with a little bit of suspicion. And, it, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's that warming up period that you talked about. So what, as kind of urban residents, if we're coming up to that region or thinking about relocating, I mean, are there any kind of, cultural cues you can give us or things that you're like, man, I remember I used to do that when I first got here and now I, I totally see like sure. why that annoyed people or. Well, I have, I have a good example. Um, so we have a guest chef program uh, where the, the chefs from the Meat Hook and the Roebling Tea Room and uh, Marlo and Sons come up each year and um, they, they teach 20 students how to do all of the skills I just mentioned. Butcher, certainly butcher. We butcher a whole pig and slaughter chickens, um, but we do pie making and all kinds of things. And the first year that they came up, it felt like they were resisting this place. It was like they wanted to plan the menus ahead of time, bring their food up from their kitchens in New York, and um, they wanted to sort of do things the way they're used to doing them, which is what any chef would want to do. Um, but we really wanted to encourage them to use local products and and play with the garden and sort of wait until they got here to experience this place fully without an agenda. And 
the second year they came up and they didn't plan the menus all ahead of time and they waited they gave themselves an extra day to sort of go mushroom foraging with evan or um go out fishing for mackerel which we ended up serving fishing for 25 mackerel with the students and throwing them in the the pizza oven it was incredible like it's all about the um trying to experience this place uh in the t- in the time that you're there, not you know planning the whole thing ahead of time, and that's that's what we that like we never plan our menus way ahead of time because we don't know what's what's ready, um, we don't know what fish are you know popping up, and we don't know what mushrooms are out there, so we wait. And I love that now this is their third year coming back, and they get so excited about coming up here to really explore the land and see what's available before we decide what we're going to feed people. Um, so I guess my advice to people is to observe, to, you know, not be assuming of anything. There is a knowledge in rural places that that city folks just don't possess. And to acquire that knowledge, it takes time and patience. Um, And that's something that, that I learned, and it took me some time. So I guess that's my advice. That's your two cents and a good two cents at that. So we are out of time. I just wanted to give you a chance if there was anything uh, special coming up or anything else that we should mention before we sign off. Uh, I want to give you a little space to do that. Sure. Um, Well, I just encourage people to go visit the Saltwater Farm website, which is saltwaterfarm.com, and uh, join our mailing list where we send out menus for all of our suppers, which fill up pretty quickly. Um, and we are really excited about our workshop program right now, which are three-day workshops uh, at the farm through the summer and into the fall, which uh, really you, you get a really full experience and get to do a lot of the skills that we talked about today, and you'll, you'll walk away feeling more confident um, in your kitchens at home. Awesome. Henry, thanks so much for being my guest today. Next Thank week um, on the Farm Report, we have Tatiana Stanton. Uh, she works with, has worked with us on the No Goat Left Behind project. So we'll be learning a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of the goat industry in the Northeast. So tune in 1 o'clock Thursdays on the Farm Report. a message from Heritage Foods USA. 14 family farms and over 50 restaurants have committed to participation in No Goat Left Behind, a new program developed by Heritage Foods USA, a meat distribution company dedicated to preserving endangered breeds. Without an end market, the majority of male dairy goats are sold into the commodity market or killed at birth. Dairy farmers are always struggling with feed prices, milk prices, and weather. Goats usually have twins or triplets, and for every female who will become a milker, there is a male buckling who will become a financial drain. It makes no sense that these males are sold into the commodity market or put to death when the United States imports almost 50% of its annual goat supply. 
Home consumers interested in participating can order goats through HeritageFoodsUSA.com. They will receive goats via FedEx, and home delivery is available for New York City customers. In addition to the goat, these packages will also include recipes and a DVD featuring interviews with the farmers, processors, and chefs demonstrating how to break down and cook goat. Again, for more information on No Goat Left Behind, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call Aaron Fairbanks at 718-389-0985. This is a message from Fork and Anger. Aaron Fitzpatrick, the host of our wine program, Unfiltered, is looking for help on Kickstarter to open Fork and Anchor, a general store inspired by two food-loving ladies with an equal affection for urban life, the sea, and the agricultural paradise of Long Island's North Fork. The store is situated in a growing community of farmers and winemakers and will become a meeting place offering prepared foods, a variety of sun-dries, and a selection of homespun products, many of which will have their origins in New York State. Your backing will help them fulfill their dream of fostering relationships with the community and making the local food system accessible on a broader scale. Search kickstarter.com for Fork and Anchor and donate today.